All right, here we are with episode 54 of the Florida Trail Runners podcast. This time we've got a little bonus episode chatting about the Leadville 100. In the previous episode, we chatted with Julian Serrano, and this time we've got a special guest from Massachusetts, Tyler Andrews. He's a professional runner with Hoka, and this year he placed fourth overall at the Leadville 100 with a time of 1840.04. And of course, back with our Floridians, we've got Jeff Iosa. He took it on this year. And then I'm also joined by Brian Charbino and Robert Sturba. And they took on level in Leadville in 2021. So hey, let's jump right into it with stories from the Leadville 100. No, thanks for having me on. That sounds like it'd be pretty fun. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey. Hey, Brian, how are you? Good. How's everybody doing? Good. Good, good. Hello. Hey, guys, how are you? How's it going, Tyler? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Yeah, I can't complain. <laughs> nice. Yeah, because Tyler, what, you're out in France? Still here. I'm in Chamonix, um, which is where UTMB is held in on the French side. Like, we're right on the border with uh, France, Italy, and Switzerland. So, <laughs> technically in France, but kind of been ducking into both sides here and there. So that's awesome. Where you got there, crewing, pacing, or yeah, a little bit of both. Like uh, mostly just crewing other people, and then kind of doing some scouting on the course myself. I want to come here and race at some point. Whether that's next year, beyond, we'll see. But uh, yeah, the mountains here are really special, and that event itself is is probably the coolest week of ultra trail running in the whole world of the whole calendar year so it's uh yeah, it, it's an amazing place to be so I, I really definitely want to be a part of it at some point and um kind of just exploring the trails out here and yeah supporting my my friends and and other athletes that, that were out racing last week for sure it was so much fun watching along you know with all the live coverage they had this year watching dylan bowman and everybody and following along and watching yeah. killian and jim out there Zach Miller kill it. So it was fun. Yeah. No, Jim, Jim's actually a really good friend of mine. Like we lived together in Flagstaff a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, really was pulling for him. I actually, it was funny. I had a friend who was running CCC um, kind of in the mid pack. So like he was still, I was like out in the CCC course while Jim was on ETMB and like I lost cell service for a while and like didn't get updates for a few hours. I was like, that was when Jim was still in first. And then I, all of a sudden I got updates. It was like, Oh no, he's dropped back. No. And like, uh, <laughs> was, I was bummed, but you know, it was, what it, is. it was, it was inspiring. Like he yeah. ran his, his own race, you know, it was pretty gutsy yeah. going out there that he wanted to run splits, but he was going to do what he yeah. thought he was capable of doing. And you know, sometimes yeah, that pans out. No one ever said that Jim does anything timid. I mean, yeah. He no. Grabs the race by the throat and you know, takes it out into the deep water <laughs> i was is interesting with the whole western states golden ticket like do you think there's any chance he comes back to western states no you know next year so. now or you're 100 so. he's in for utmb i think he's accomplished everything that 
States. Uh, and I think yeah. his, if he wins UTMB, then maybe that changes and he'll go back. But I think that's the the real feather missing in his cap right now. Yeah, that's like the Camille Heron thing, like having her move out to some of the mountain races now. Yeah, I mean, I think Camille is a pretty different athlete in terms of just like, I don't think she's, uh, I think she's going to, yeah, she she has a lot a lot more work to do on the on the mountain trail side. Um, I think she just spent so much more time on the roads. Like she's such an amazing flat and road runner that like she's really found her niche there in like the super long, really runnable stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think she's like I've been on teams with Camille. She's awesome, and I think like she sure has the potential. But I mean, I experienced this myself because I moved to trails pretty late. Of just the the learning curve on mountainous stuff and technical stuff is really high and you know you can get away with a lot in the ultra world if you have a really big engine from the roads if it's kind of flat and not technical but once you start throwing vert and rocks in like it can get gnarly <laughs> out there and all of a sudden it's like well it doesn't matter how big your engine is if you're walking a lot because you can't you know tell, which i find myself doing in the last few years so yeah it, it, it can take a couple of years to kind of make that transition fully i think yeah and that's like the big training factor especially for all of us here in florida yeah i bet no i mean it's like it's so like it's kind of unfair but it also like you know it is what it is like i think the people you see people who do really well at states it's like a lot of them are from the rockies and you look at people who do really well at utmb and it's like look at the top 10 at least in the men's side like every single one of those people i think except zach trains in europe um in the alps so there is something to be said for like location specific stuff and you know i know people like patrick reagan is a really good example of a guy who's from savannah georgia who's done really well at states so like obviously there are ways you can do it but i think to really be consistent and super competitive and these most competitive races like you have to be completely on top of your game um in terms of the terrain uh and, and every aspect of training, including, you know, being able to compete on the course itself. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like, especially as the sport gets more and more competitive every year, I mean, just look at UTMB times and you compare from what Killian did, you know, this year and the previous years, it's just getting faster and faster and every time. is. so I think as the sport evolves, you're going to have to get more and more technical. You're going to have to have the coaching, the nutrition dialed down. You're going to have to have all those little aspects, the the psychological aspects of it too. And every little aspect is going to have to be dialed down. And that includes, you know, training very specifically for each race. I think some of those biggest races in the world are going to be won by the people that dedicate the most time to training at that specific race and that style of, of running. You know, you're not going to have the people that can just go and run, you know, switch from a Leadville race and then go try to run a flat 100-mile race and have, you know, great success at both. It's going to be very specific. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just it, the fact is it's becoming more of a professional sport. It's becoming more competitive. And when you see that, you see more specialization, right? I mean, it used to be that, like, you know, Alberto Salazar could just hop over from the marathon to run Comrade and he would win easily and you know nowadays like yeah you can't just like hop into ultra running and dominate every race like those athletes are training specifically for those races at a really high level from a really young age like specifically for those kind of events so i think that's it's a good thing it you know rising tide lifts all boats so i think everyone gets better when we all get pushed by one another and to me it's just a sign of yeah the whole sport is becoming more professional it's growing 
um, on every level is becoming more competitive. And what we're going to see is, yeah, you need to train harder and smarter um, to really do well. Yeah, it's how, like, if you're not from Florida, you really need to dial in your training for humidity. You know, if you're coming from altitude, it's going to be a different game. It's going to be a totally different setting as compared to somewhere that, that has that higher elevation. You know, and obviously, same thing goes if you're going out west or in the mountains. You'll find that you'll definitely need to specifically dial in your training for that race, which obviously it's hopefully, it, you know, it's an eagle race like Leadville or, you know, something like that. Like I've got Lake the Ocean winter coming up and, you know, I'm really trying to dial in that training to suit that the needs of that race. And that's like the biggest thing. Your, your training needs to suit the needs for your desired race. You know, I'm hitting a lot more swampy, a lot more wet terrain to really get my feet ready for that. And and it goes down to everything from breathing pattern to, to the walks, to the runs, to the how to move efficiently through that kind of kind of terrain. Because obviously you want to make it for the long haul of it. You want to be, you want to be able to do it for the long term yeah i agree with that and i think some of it too is like sustainability that athletes are starting to like lean more towards like you know how is how is running some of these races more sustainable so i think we're starting to see a lot more athletes you know cross train a lot more strength train a lot more for imbalances and whatnot to make you know be able to maintain running on some of these courses for a long period of time cool. so hey i guess we you know we can kick it off with a little bit about yourselves and obviously you guys all have history at leadville What's that running his history prior to Leadville? Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to start. Um, so Leadville, was, I did Leadville 2021 and 2022. Um, 2021, it was that, those are the only two hundred milers I've done um, so far. Uh, so last year was my first time. Um, a little bit of background before that, I started out really racing longer distance on the roads uh two olympic marathon trials and that was kind of my focus was uh marathon trying to get that down and then just kind of got bored with it honestly because i felt like i was getting pretty close to my ceiling in range 215 back in 2016 um and that was that's my pr to this day still and started running 50ks that's kind of a gateway drug into ultras so i was on the u.s 50k team uh three times i got second at worlds and uh, back in 2017 and then kind of moved into longer and longer stuff. Hoka is my primary sponsor and they roped me into doing a hundred K when they set up the project carbon X, uh, one and two. So that was my longest race there. Um, I actually dropped out of both of those, um, because it was kind of a all or nothing situation where we were just going for the world record and it, they threw a bunch of guys at the wall and, you know, Jim was the one who could hang on in both. Um, and then really only got into trail stuff, I would say, like, in the last couple of years, like, probably, a li- like, a tiny bit before the COVID pandemic, and then actually kind of got more and in- much more into trail during COVID, uh, just because, uh, as you guys, I'm sure, experienced, there were a lot fewer races out there, and kind of got more into the FKT scene and trail and mountain stuff. And then that was a very slippery slope, and led me, led me to leaving, meeting some really incredible people, like, Jim uh, Walmsley and, and other runners who really inspired me to go more in the mountain ultra trail direction. And, um, you know, I always saw myself as an athlete who just kind of improved as distance got longer and um, hundred miles was always on my radar. And um, I think it was actually Jim who convinced me to sign up for Leadville going into 2021. Uh, I thought it was really 
kind of in my wheelhouse. It was pretty runnable, of course, not a ton of vert. Um, and I've always kind of leaned into altitude well. I, I did really well with altitude. And so it seemed like it lined up really well with my skill set for a first time. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I got pretty sick during race week uh, uh, last year and um, almost dropped out, but kind of hiked into the finish. And then um, this year, kind of had you know we were just talking about gym at etmb but kind of had a similar situation there of trying to be a little bit aggressive and hang for it a little bit in the last quarter um but ended up fourth so i think that's kind of my my story from you know a little bit of background up to up to this year and obviously happy to go into more details and yeah excited to hear hear about your guys experience as well so I'm Jeff Iosa, local runner to where Joseph is at a Tampa Bay area. My background, basically, uh, my wife and I were at Disney one uh, Sunday and we watched the marathon go on. And I said, one day I'd like to do this. And uh, two years later, I signed up and marathon and bombed and I finished it but totally uh, failed at what my goals were so the next year I tried it again and did a little better but still wasn't where I wanted to be and decided to sign up one more time for the marathon and during that year uh, someone said hey you should read this book called Born to Run and that's probably like around 2014 2000, uh, maybe yeah 2014 so I read the book and, and first I heard about ultra marathons and I'm like ooh maybe I should try try that next luckily there was a race coming up in about four months and it's called the Pinellas Trail Challenge and it was actually this past Saturday um it's a local race that runs pretty close to my house runs on paved trail so I signed up for that and ran that um and was blown away by the trail the ultra community and that just kind of got me hooked from there. Um, I got into uh, running some trail races, uh, attempted my first 100 at Umstead and, and failed at that one. And then a year later, signed up for Penhody. I think that's where I met uh, Brian uh, waiting in line for the bathroom and uh, finished that one and then basically uh, just kept moving up from there for Leadville and that was a goal a couple years ago and they kept kept deferring it here but because I thought I was running Vermont last year I, def- um, I decided not to sign up for Leadville until this year and I figured since I was running Vermont and Leadville I might as well add two more and go after the Grand Slam and so I got into Old Dominion and uh, I'll run Wasatch on Friday um, in two days, what, three days on that right there. So um, that's kind of my background from there. Well, I'll go next. My name is Brian Charbonneau uh, from Port Orange, Florida, which is kind of on the east coast of Florida. I've uh, been running for a little over 20 years. Uh, ran in high school, ran in college for University of Central Florida, ran cross country and track there. Um, <clears throat> post-college, I took a few years off just because I got burnt out from running at the D1 cross-country level, Uh, but of course came back to running a few years later, Um, then ran several marathons and uh, was, you know, ran, I think, eight or nine in a row. Um, I got my PR down to 234, um, and then 2018, I ran Boston for the second time, and that was going to be my last marathon I was going to try to push myself for for a while. Um, And then that was unfortunately the year with the 40-mile-an-hour winds and 35 degrees. So I was in good shape to PR, but just didn't happen that day. Um, But later on that year, I signed up for Pinhoti. 
uh, where I met Jeff, you know, in the line for the bathroom before the race. And uh, that was my first 100. Uh, I got through that, but um, at that point caught the trail running bug and was just excited to push myself in trail running and go for other hundreds. Um, I had a buddy who was obsessed with Leadville who ran it, I believe, in like 2018. And he would always talk about Leadville. And he finally convinced me to give Leadville a shot. Um, was supposed to do that in 2020, which got rolled over to 2021. Um, and uh, ran Leadville in 2021. Uh, had an okay day, I guess. Uh, dealt with some GI issues from the altitude. Um, and then post-Leadville, uh, ran a few... 50 milers. Um, and then back in April, I ran Umstead 100 in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, where I was fortunate to finish uh, first male, second overall behind Devin Yanko. And yeah, just been enjoying the trail running since then and, you know, have future goals of hopefully going back to Leadville one day. Um, signed up for Black Canyons 100K in uh, Arizona in February. So that's my next goal race. Awesome. I guess that leaves me for last. Um, my name is Robert Sturba. Um, I guess uh, I never, I didn't really grow up running all that much, but I was like very active and stuff. I played like competitive hockey through like high school um, and kind of like into my 20s. So I was always like on the move, but never, I always swore like I'd never really be a runner. Um, you know, I just thought it was like kind of pointless suffering for whatever reason. Um, so and I was um, also a mechanic for 12 years, um, which kind of just, you know, I was always on my feet in the shop, um, you know, through my 30s and whatnot. And, I, you know, during that time, I kind of went to a few, like my family members were kind of getting into like, you know, 5Ks, 10Ks. And like my sister and brother did a marathon together. And I kind of went and watched that. Got a little bit hooked on the scene. I was like, all right, you know, maybe maybe I'll try, like, a 5K. So I think my wife's work hosted a 5K, and I went uh, to that and just kind of started getting a little bit into running a little bit more, um, kind of like as I was less active playing hockey and stuff like that. Um, so from there, pretty much everything progressed uh, super quick. I kind of made a career change, you know, in that time, uh, which kind of helped fuel my passion for running now. Um, the running elements here in Daytona Beach, Florida, um, I was able to jump on with them as they were kind of building um, the store uh, out and, and growing the business. Um, so I kind of came on as like a manager and buyer and just really dove like headfirst into like the running community. Um, and like I said, from there, like everything kind of progressed um, before long. I signed up for my first marathon and trained for that. And then, you know, I started wanting to learn more about the sport and, you know, went and got my RRCA certification and coaching just, you know, to gain a little bit more knowledge for my own personal training. And from there, I had a friend kind of reach out like, hey, I'm training for this 50 mile race. Um, you know, and in the process of, you know, answering some of their questions, we started running together a little bit more and we, you know, uh, trained together basically for that race. And I was like, well, if you're signed up for this race, like, you know, we're kind of putting, you know, the same amount of training in. How about I sign up for the race too and we run it together? Um, so I went from Marathon to um, the Dark Sky, Nashville's Dark Sky 50 mile race in Nash, or just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. I think they host it in Jamestown. Um, so I ran my first 50 mile trail race out there and um, got kind of hooked into the community um, 
a little bit more than the marathon scene just seemed to like gravitate to the people a little bit more and everything kind of took off from there before long i signed up for long haul 100 uh so that was my first uh 100 i completed there and then i think just you know leadville was always like talk around the run store as being like you know a real big you know 100 mile race it's kind of contagious around here so my friend tyler and i signed up um you know for the lottery like the day uh, the lottery release we both didn't we both didn't get in but you know i think it really once the disappointment set in that we didn't get in i think it really made us realize how bad we wanted to run the race um so at that point we both like instantly jumped on to like sign up for one of the charities um for so through the save the children foundation last year i was able to race uh, raise the money and race uh leadville in 2021 um and that's kind of how i got into the race last year yeah so i guess you know just coming right into leadville what's it like there right at the starting line instantly once you get into leadville i feel like it's you know big big family uh huge community the whole town embraces everybody and it's just it's a different energy i feel than than some other races i've been to and you just tell like you've got a hard day ahead of you you know harder than most days and just everyone's kind of there for the exact same thing so despite everybody's different backgrounds and and why they're there um at that moment on the start line you really feel like you're you're all on common ground um whether you're the guy you know a guy in the top 10 or the, or the dead last guy like you're all kind of the same on that day which is which is kind of a cool feeling i think and one of my favorite part about uh, ultra races yeah that morning is just electric on sixth and harrison you know it's a 4 a.m start so everybody in the whole town is up whether they want to be or not you know and it's it's loud and you get going and um when I was on the starting line, it was exciting because uh, I started the race and the next thing I knew, there was a camera crew right next to me and I kind of look over and it's Anton uh, running right by me. And uh, I just had this surreal thing where I'm running the first, I ran the first 12 miles until uh, the first aid station at May Queen with Anton. and. I, you know, I don't think I told too many people, but I brought my phone out and I was running right behind him and I'm video recording because I don't know how often I'm going to get to run with Anton, you know, at Leadville, which is, you know, pretty historic. So, you know, and then I would go in front of him, he would go in front of me, but then you have this pressure of, okay, I got Anton, you know, running right behind me. But, uh... Yeah, he he took it out really easy the first 12 and I, you know, might have gone out a little too hard at the beginning, but it was just that atmosphere, you know, it's just, it's special, it's a special race, um, you know, and you have a Ken and at the start, you know, it was just just a special day out there for me uh with any long race it's important to like stay as calm as possible at the start and Leadville is definitely like and uh, it's an atmosphere it's really easy to get super amped up i, I think like the 4am start everyone's like has all this adrenaline there's music playing um you know it, it's it, it is a really really special atmosphere there and i think it's easy to kind of blow your race almost like in the first 12 miles uh just because it's so fast like that first piece um you have that really fast downhill 
on the road and then you know really easy trail basically all the way up to that first climb out on the ct so i think it's it's definitely like it's an interesting race because there are little challenges like that where it's almost like a trick it's like the race is trying to trick you into going out too hard and you know some people definitely get sucked into that i think this year was interesting because it almost felt like a like a track cycling race like nobody wanted to lead and we were all just kind of like twiddling our thumbs and like waiting for someone to go and like Ian Sherman was maybe like 10 meters in front of us the whole way down the boulevard but otherwise like I think we were all just like waiting for someone else to to go out in front I think we all had the same strategy which is like I don't want to be leading in the first like 40 miles of the race um which is kind of kind of interesting but but yeah I think the start like I, I my start experience at ultras is pretty limited um at least in terms of hundreds but you know i was here at utmb that's pretty amazing like i think for a lot of ultra runners the biggest thing with a start is like you know you have a long way to go like enjoy that moment but don't get so amped up that you go out and do something crazy in, in the first you know few miles or even the first hour yeah there's jeff i'd watch i'd been out there crewing two or three years ago so i kind of knew what the start was like but it's surreal when you're out there and it's 900 runners, you know, around 900 runners sitting in there. It's, it, it was bigger than, you know, the other two races I had run already this summer. Um, but it's just a great, you know, and I was nervous in the first part because me and Brian had talked beforehand and I was worried about getting bottleneck once we hit the, the lake part. And he was telling me, you know, run pretty conservative and you should be fine. And so I was stressed about that. And, but I mean, it's wide open for the first couple of miles. So you're not packed in there. So what it was, it was good. And you're just chatting with everyone around you. And then as soon as you hit the section where there's trees on the side, everyone's going off to go to the bathroom and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's just, uh, and then you just settle in for the first, first, once you hit the trails around the, um, around the lake you just settle in and and then just run run to the first aid station yeah around the lake that's one of the areas that i was kind of curious about how did those miles go out to twin lakes i'll I'll take this one first because i hate it that's my least favorite part of the race in both directions it's like it's in the morning it's you know it's pitch black it's it's super monotonous there like aren't a lot of landmarks it's really early in the race so it it like kind of has to feel really boring um and yeah it's just like mentally i've run that section a handful of times and it's just okay how do i break this up and make it a little bit more interesting yeah, I'd have to agree with Tyler with that section around Turquoise Lake is the only thing that I thought was really cool is when you look behind you, you see just a tail light. You know, there's yeah. 700-ish people that start that race. Yeah. So you just see the whole, you know, tail light of all the lights behind you, which is pretty exciting. But yeah, it is kind of spaced out around the lake and the trail isn't super well defined. So that first section around the lake is just kind of getting there and you don't want to do anything too stupid in that first 12 miles, you know, until you get to make wing. Yeah. And, and, and for me, I think, um, some of the stuff you guys talked about, like I knew about the bottlenecks, you know, I was camping there at like Sugarloaf campground. So the course ran like right by there. So previous days I ran out and scouted out like Turquoise Lake 
steak and all that and um, was kind of familiar with the spot where it bottlenecked. So for me, like I was fighting with myself not to go out too hard, um, but like being aware of like the bottleneck. So I did kind of run into some like hiccups around the lake with, you know, some just kind of some of that bottlenecking like we talked about. Um, but I thought it was a really fun section just to kind of like, uh, you know, settle in. It was kind of rolling, so it did kind of like warm me up uh, nice and good for the climb, like coming out of May Queen. Um, but another moment, like um, I think Brian touched on, was, you know, being able to see the headlights that early in the morning. I thought was, that was probably like one of the most memorable moments for me in the race because you could see like just the trail of, of headlights around the lake as you, you know, look forward in front of you and behind you. And that was, um, you know, just gave you a really good idea of the size of the amount of people that are, are you know, out there uh, with you that day. Yeah, this is Jeff. Um, luckily, I had run that section several times, so I kind of knew what to kind of expect. And so I enjoy. I actually enjoyed that section because um, it was it was flat and there wasn't much much uh, climbing in there. And luckily, I hit. I only hit one little bottleneck section. I just got around that person, and then it was wide open all the way in the May Queen. Um, wasn't anybody in front of me after that. You know, I always like that section. Uh, you always have there's people along there cheering, cheering for you in the campground and stuff like that. So it's a good section. Yeah, from Twin Lakes, you still have a long ways till you get to Hope yeah. Pass. But once you uh, come out of May Queen, you have a little section, a couple of miles on the Colorado Trail and then you jump up on a dirt road and it's probably one of the flattest miles that you have you only have about a mile and then you make your left and you go up sugarloaf um, up to the top of power line you go up and then come down power line and then you come to outward bound which is your next aid station and uh once you come out of outward bound that's probably one of the most frustrating little fields because there's all these uh like prairie dog holes right, so yeah. yeah you have a couple miles where you're just it looks like it should be easy running through a field but you're constantly watching for all these like little divots and holes all throughout there where i heard of a few people like twisting their ankle pretty good in there if you're not paying attention yeah and then you you just have some rolling hills until you come to twin lakes and then you have that big aid station at twin lakes and that's kind of the where the reality of the race starts to set in that okay you got you know hope pass coming up and uh that's obviously the most challenging part of the the day yeah brian brian i remember you this jeff i remember you telling me about the the um the field after outbound and i was running there with uh with a girl who was running the uh doing the lead, lead woman series and she's like and she's like oh the trail's actually nice this year <laughs> oh <It's>, uh, <laughs> that's surprising she goes, yeah she's like usually it's all divvied up and stuff like that i go yeah my buddy told me about that <laughs> and she goes it's actually nice this year and that that's right my that's my least favorite part of the whole course was that feel that i dreaded it coming back you know in inward too yeah. yeah especially especially when you're tired like coming back through it was even it seemed like it was even worse that way so coming into into twin lakes too like some of the oh, strategies i think you got to follow too with that race is like not bomb down the downhills too much um you know power lines is a pretty good descent down there um and then it seemed like we had a pretty good drop down into twin lakes as too and too and i just remember 
kind of getting like caught up in a train <laughs> group. We were kind of like just bombing down the hill into Twin Lakes, and like we were all feeling good. You know, everyone was kind of rolling, and, and um, we all came into Twin Lakes and just kind of looked at each other. We we're like, "Oh, did we just we just make a big mistake? Like, did we just like burn our quads out before we have to you know head towards Hope Pass?" Um, so I think in that race too, like Twin Lakes is a pretty pivotal moment, both like outward bound and inward bound. Um, and I think running like a proper strategy up until up until uh, Twin Lakes is is pretty important for that race. Yeah, I was gonna say that that, that descent down into Twin Lakes because you can hear that aid station from from a few miles out. So I kept thinking I was close. So yeah, I was running it pretty aggressive, and then it just kept going and going. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, did I make a mistake? Did I, did I start my run down there too too quickly on that, and then finally you come down into the aid station. Um, and I, I that's that's just a surreal aid station coming through. It's it's just incredible. The crowds down there and everything, everything like that. It's um, it's really cool. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool town, and like I was able to go out and crew uh, this year, and we were we were posted up in Twin Lakes. So it was really cool to see it from the other perspective. But I basically just got to see the look on everybody's face that I think was probably on my face as I came in to Twin Lakes in 2021. It was just like you know it's starting to warm up that time of day too, and you're like like you said, you hear the aid station from a couple miles out, so you're getting a little jazzed up. Um, and probably running a little harder than your shed so um like i said i think it's a pivotal moment in in the race and i just remember coming in there like feeling like oh my quads were worked a little bit more than i wanted to and like i'm probably a little behind on you know hydration right now um you know which is pretty critical i think at altitude um so it was, a, it was definitely a moment for me where I had to kind of like take a little mini reset and be like, okay, I guess we still got Hope Pass in, in front of us. Let's focus on that now. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think Twin Lakes is a pretty pivotal uh, moment inward and out, uh, outward bound and inward bound. So, yeah. Yeah, with Twin Lakes, you know, most of us from this crew being from Florida is you've already had a decent amount of climbing at this point. So by coming into Twin Lakes, you already have, you know, being from Florida, we typically don't get the amount of climbing and descent training that we would like to. I mean, we have some bridges and, you know, overpasses and a few hills here and there. But (laughs) typically coming into Twin Lakes, we already feel it. And then let alone the altitude, you know, just being a high altitude race of, you know, never getting below 9,200 feet. And most of your days spent above 10,000. It's starting to wear on you at that point, and you really haven't done anything yet. You know, Twin Lakes is just the beginning, and then you know you have the two <laughs> biggest climbs of the day. So that's where yeah. where things start getting real, and when you all right, this is this is going to be pretty challenging. Not that any hundreds easy, but that part is where it's like, okay, we got to really step it up now well and i think that's the hardest part like coming from florida is because we don't have that training you know like that question i had in my head did i just fry my quads um you know it's, it's just all unknown I, you know coming from florida is like are your quads gonna be fried is altitude gonna affect you now or like so basically trying to figure out how much you've got left in the tank when you don't like train on that type of ground all the time um so it's a big like guessing game with your body on like finding that line of what's sustainable um on that terrain and that distance out there um that we don't get to train on yeah yeah because tyler obviously like that you have the opportunity you train in that kind of environment all the time 
Yeah, and I, I think for me, like that's, and again, that's like going back to our conversation, you're seeing more and more specializations. Like for me, I spent the two months before this race down in Peru uh, in the Sacred Valley, which is outside of Cusco. And it's like actually a very similar environment to Lipville. Like it's about 10,000 feet in the valley and we have, um, you know, lots of climbs that go up to 12, 13, 14, and 15,000 feet, like right out your back door. And so... It, it was interesting because for me it was you know the altitude was kind of the thing I was the least worried about like and even the first like it, it, it was uh, it was more of like okay how's my body just going to hold up like running this quick on on this terrain for so long so yeah I mean I think for thinking about the race in chunks I really think of it like okay if you if you think of the first third as to Twin Lakes the middle third as up and over Hope Pass twice and then the last third as back from Twin Lakes. I think the first third basically has to feel like a warm up. The second, the middle third is where things start to get interesting, and then the last third is okay. Did you did you kill yourself going over Hope Pass and back? Basically, I think that people who run really well get back to Twin Lakes at like a hundred k, feeling like uh, I feel pretty okay. And last year, I was completely destroyed like i was sick and i just like totally didn't listen to my body and ran really poorly and stupidly and i just yeah wasn't wasn't at all where i wanted to be at twin lakes i basically was finished at that point this year i felt pretty good um but i still think it wasn't quite enough and kind of had some nutrition issues after twin lakes and couldn't get calories down and just like got in a hole um but like i felt great going over Hope pass so it's like it's it is just it's a really interesting race because they're really different parts uh you know in terms of how you approach them you know the first 40 miles and the last 40 miles are or 37 or whatever it is those are it's really runnable like there's you know you it's really fast there's only a few sections where the there's real kind of like semi-technical trail um the climbs aren't that bad it's really like you you have this kind of sandwich with hope pass in the middle um which is you know a, a pretty big climb and it gets up decently high and it's really about okay can i get through that middle section without blowing out my quads without going too deep into the well of caloric deficit things like that such that you can get back to that last 60k and feel okay like i can still run because if if once you stop running in that last 60k you just lose so much time because it's so it is so runnable there there is that long dirt road stretch and and all that smooth trail so i think that's that's really the thing that is kind of the crux of the race is like okay how do you how do you balance um both in the race and also training being able to climb really well and handle the altitude on like you know what is a real trail like up and over hope pass but then also have the legs to be able to run pretty quick once that once it's time for that on both ends yeah with hope pass you do it twice is it harder the first time or is it harder the second time i thought i thought it was harder on the way back just because i think it's a little steeper on the back side um and you're you know you're at altitude then you know for a good amount of time then so um i think the climb back up you know is is a little bit tougher i don't know how you guys feel about it but <laughs> for me it was definitely the climb back up out of out of Winfield um, yes hands down <laughs> I, I had a little little trouble once I finally made it back up and got to the aid station like I was I was getting pretty close to the cutoff to be back to 
to Twin Lakes. And, you know, after that tough climb back, you know, from Winfield back up uh, to the Hope Pass, like, it, they made it too comfortable um, up there at that aid station. You know, those llamas pack, pack up a lot of nice stuff. They had, you know, a nice toasty fire going and uh, some hot potato soup. And I was, like, debating, you know, with myself whether or not I was going to make it in time, you know, sitting in this comfort. And I said, you know what? It's too comfortable. I got to get out of here. Um, and, you know, once I once I was able to do that and like I think once you made it to Hope and, and down into Twin Lakes it was um, a good feeling to get moving out of altitude um, you know back into Twin Lakes definitely made me feel a whole lot better for the last the last little bit yeah I think for me the uh, the back climb like the second climb is shorter um, but it's steeper and it's obviously later into the race. I actually think that one of the trickiest parts of the whole course that's really underestimated is the section between the bottom of the climb and Winfield when you go out and back. Like, there actually is a decent amount of climbing there. It's a little bit rocky. You just come down, like up and then down a really big descent. And it's pretty, like, it's in the middle of the race. It, it just, that section always feels a little bit hard, I think. Um, because really like you want to run it, but then it's like, man, that climb is kind of steep. Like it's kind of hot there sometimes, depending on what time of day you hit it. So I think it's, yeah, that, that's a really tricky piece. I think if you run it, if you run that middle section, well, I think that the climb should feel about the same effort wise. And I think for me this year, I think probably the way back, if anything felt a little bit better, I think I let myself squeeze it a little bit more on the way out. I really held back, so that one felt a little bit easier. Um, but I think they both felt pretty good. I think it's it's really a matter of like, okay, can you can you get to that descent on the way back down and still feel okay? Like, can you not leave it all on those climbs? And you know, I remember reading uh, Adrian McDonald's race report. He won the race the last two years and. Um, it was also his first hundred last year and he, you know, he ran super well both times, really patient, really smart. And he wrote something like, you know, I got back to Twin Lakes at hundred K and I was talking to my pacer and I was like, you know, when is this supposed to start to get hard? And I was like, Oh man, like, you really think that well. <laughs> like, I, that's not how I was feeling. <laughs> um, so it was like, but that was like a really, I thought about that. I'm like, okay, that's like how you have to feel. Like you have to feel like, okay, like, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, you know, I think I almost got there this year. It, it, it was close. Um, but, you know, again, I think it's, it's just really hard. Like it's, it's a long race and, and you're, when you're operating really close to the red line, I think if you go over a little bit, it's just so easy to get into a hole. And then all of a sudden, like you're in this huge deficit and there's just no way to get back. And I think that's where at this race, where people kind of go and will tow that red line, and being at altitude, once you get above that red line, other races, you can kind of redeem yourself, maybe sit in a station for a little bit and catch up. But I think just being at altitude, your body is already stressed to the point where everybody has a more difficult time coming back from pushing it a little harder than they should have. And that's why I think there's such a high, you know, dropout rate at this race. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You got a few more extra variables uh, in this race than you would most, I'd say yeah i mean i I think like i said i you know i obviously have the privilege of being able to to go and train at altitude to train in the mountains for someone who's not doing that i have a really good friend who's from new york city um and she ran leadville 
and we are talking you know during her build-up it's like all right how am i going to get vert how am i going to prep for altitude at new york city in the summertime like that's it's as close to sea level as you can get pretty much and um you know people can come and they they've done it successfully they finished the race um people have even done pretty well but i think it's like altitude is something that like you can't really fake like you know people talk about heat and humidity training they talk about altitude tents and you know those things all those things can be helpful but there's really no substitute for just being acclimated and not even really having to think about it like from both the physical and mental perspective so i think it's it's tricky it's you know if you want to race high in the mountains you kind of have to just be ready for that or else you have to be so fit that you're not worried about okay i'm gonna i know i'm gonna lose something to the altitude and that's okay because i'm fit enough that i sacrifice a few percent here and there and i'm just going to operate way under that red line so that you don't have to worry about crossing you know some critical threshold yeah, I yeah. think like some of the like strategies from like coming from sea level uh, to like an altitude race is like you said, being as fit as possible. I think just being as sharp and um, anaerobically fit as possible. Um, and I think another thing that potentially works well is like if you can. And I know Brian, I think went out there and did the run camp, but getting some time out there like four to five weeks before the race to get a little bit like of an adaptation. Uh, to altitude um so when i hear some of the research some of that will stay with you like if you're out there for a little bit of time beforehand and you come back some of that adaptation will stay with you for like up to three weeks um and then like getting into town a little bit early uh like i know i got into town about like in the altitude about seven days out and i was like i stayed at five thousand feet and then i moved up to ten thousand feet the next day um and I was doing like checking my pulse ox and all that stuff. And I think a general rule of thumb is about like a thousand feet per day. Uh, gets the, so if you want to add up to like 10,000 feet, they say like it should take about 10 days. So I don't think um, a week was quite long enough. Because um, I think when I got into town, my pulse ox was like 91 or 90 or something like that. And by the time I raced, it was like 96. Um, so I think there are some strategies that you can do. Um, that help, but um, there's really, like you said, no substitute for like being there all the time and training in it. Yeah, I got I got out there on Wednesday, hoping that would do it. And honestly, on the first part of the race, all the way in the Twin Lakes, I felt great because I had I did a bunch of climbing at Vermont for the Vermont 100 and then Old Dominion, so I had the climbing legs there. And even going over Sugarloaf, I felt fine. I remember going over Mini Mount Albert, and I kept waiting for the climb up to the top. And then all of a sudden, we're, we're descending. And I'm like, well, where was the climb up to the top? <laughs> and it's like, you already did it. And I'm like, all right. Um, and then going up Hopes the first time, you know, I was going slow. Um, but I made it up. You know, I was putting, you know, between 26 and 30-minute miles going over. Um and then, uh, like Tyler said, that you come down and a lot of people misjudge that section from that climb over to Winfield. And I kind of expected it. So I knew what to expect on it and got in there. And I had an hour and a half at the turnaround. Unfortunately, I think I hit that aid station at the wrong time because there was no 
food in there to eat. Like they was, it was like scrounging for food, and I knew I was in trouble uh, at that point on that. And my climb up Hope's Pass, I couldn't get up over Hope's Pass. The only thing that kept me going was I knew I had to get over to 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 time out. <laughs> so um, I just the, between the altitude and not having any food in my body, I just it just it just destroyed my race those two what two and a two and three quarters mile up up hope past the second time this this just destroyed my race on that yeah if you're having any kind of like time issues i think that race is like pretty strict on like time cutoffs into coming back into twin lakes um, I think they just want to get everybody off up and off of Hope Pass in an early hour. Because um, I ran through, like, I made it back into Twin Lakes with, like, five minutes to spare. And um, on the cutoff, like, my crew literally ran through town with me, like, stuffing my vest with things as I picked up my pacer. Um, but I felt like the cutoffs got a little lighter. The back, You know, the back, I guess it's the remainder 38. Because uh, by the time I made it to the next aid station, I was, like, an hour and 15 minutes ahead of the the cutoff versus just 10 minutes um so i think that's another aspect that like wipes a lot of people out in that race is that that tough cutoff and that management yeah. of the race up until that point um and then it kind of it kind of lightens up a little bit but i think that's one of the main contributors is you know people's management up to that cutoff you know back up and over hope into twin lakes so i mean eventually you make your way you know back to may queen and at this point, you only have that last section to go. How did those, I guess for Tyler, I know you got fourth place this year. How did those final miles go down? Oh, man, they didn't go down well, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. so my race really kind of like the crux for me was actually the stretch from uh, like probably like the Albert Aid Station to Outward Bound on the way back, which I think is kind of like 70 to 75 miles, somewhere around there. Um, and I just got really sick to my stomach. Like I couldn't keep any food down. Um, I couldn't keep any fluids down. I just, I, there was probably like two hours of the race where I basically didn't get any calories in. And for me, like I usually have like an ironclad stomach. I felt, I never even thought that that would be an issue for me. It was never an issue in training. It was never an issue in other races. And so I was really just surprised by that and got into, um, we're bound on the way back at like 75 miles and uh i'd lost a lot of time to adrian i was still in second at that point and you know up till that point i was you know i was running for the win and i was closing on adrian and that was the first time where my crew was like hey you just lost like a lot of time you lost like 30 minutes in that section and i knew i was kind of running really slow and so yeah it, it was the problem was i my stomach did come back around but by the time i got to may queen I was eating again, but I had just gotten into a caloric hole that I could not get out of. You know, that's the problem with an ultra is if you have like even two hours where you're running and you're not eating, you just get this deficit that you cannot overcome. Like it doesn't matter how much you eat after that. It's you're just down so much that you can't make it up um, again, especially when you're operating really close, close to that red line. So for me, it was, it was definitely bittersweet. You know, I thought I would be finishing when I was at May Queen in terms of time. Um, like I was like 16 hours at May Queen or something. Um, and that was kind of where I wanted to be finishing under there. And so to be there and just like, oh, darn, the sun is setting. This is a bummer. I got to get my headlamp out, whatever. 
um, (laughs) and uh, just yeah it, it was it was not good like it's funny because i like my crew has some video of me running from like various points of the race and it's like oh here i am at twin lakes and i look really good and smooth and there's, there's like a shot of me leaving may queen i look like i'm a thousand year old man I'm, like running with my pole, <laughs> little walker just like barely lifting my feet up and like oh yeah i was pretty cooked um so yeah may queen was a pretty dark place uh literally and physically this year and spiritually and emotionally um but you know I think it's nice. Leadville does let you have pacers. So like I had a really, my really good friend, Pete Kostelnik, who's another pro athlete for Hoka. Um, he was there and ran it in with me and kept things really positive and kept telling me like I was doing a great job, even though I was super bummed that I knew I was kind of imploding. And um, I actually got passed into third, like right out of May Queen. Like as I was leaving the other, the guy who was in third, um, who ended up second, he was coming in right behind me. And my, I was like, Oh shoot. Like, I thought maybe I could rally a little bit and chase him. And he went by us on the trail a couple minutes later. And it was like, I was standing still. It was unbelievable. Like I had absolutely nothing. My body was just completely shutting down and just totally out of gas. And yeah, he flew by me and I never saw him again. And I was like, all right, I'm in third. Okay. Whatever third I'm on the podium. And then um, it it wasn't until almost the turn onto the boulevard i think that i got passed into fourth and that was pretty disheartening of like oh gosh that's that's a bummer um but i think for me with big races like this you know i i go out there put myself in the position to try and win and sometimes you take a really big swing and you just like completely biff it like last year and sometimes you know maybe foul out or you know hit a single or something maybe that's kind of what this year was so it was you know it wasn't the result i wanted it was disappointing um but at the same time i think ultra running is a lot about problem solving and i felt like i i did a pretty good job of managing some problems that i encountered in the race and you know and I, I never completely gave up i never um you know wanted to pack i mean well, there were lots of times i wanted to pack it in but i never actually let myself get that close to it um so i think that for me that was like both a very tough section of being at McQueen and all the way into the finish and also like a little bit um almost redemptive of okay you know i'm gonna i'm gonna get to the finish here yeah and tyler i guess for this year and then for you other guys for 2021 what was the good the bad and the ugly out there (laughs) uh that's a great question okay good bad and the ugly this year um for me i would say the good was uh, my middle section, my Hope Pass section. I think from Twin Lakes to Winfield and back, I felt amazing. I felt just like where I wanted to be. The effort felt good. It felt controlled. I ran, I think, really smart and really smooth in that section. Um, it's one of my favorite parts of the course. Like I love the mountains, and it's just an unbelievably beautiful climb, like through the forest and up above tree line and stuff. And I just. I was having a blast in that section, which I think is really important. I was having a a really good time. My head was in a good space. My body was in a good space. So yeah, I think that whole, whatever it is, 20 or 25 mile stretch to me, that was definitely the good. Um, The bad I would say actually was like the first 20 K like to me queen. I had a shoe problem early in the race where I was getting like this weird hot spot on my foot because I was wearing a new pair of shoes with a gator that I'd like glued its long story but it was dumb it was all my fault and I was just like <laughs> super cranky and I I was in such a bad head I literally wanted to drop out of the race like at 
at like 15 miles. I was like, this is dumb. I'm so, I'm like done with this. And I, it wasn't until I got to outward bound on the way out at whatever that is, 25 miles or something that like I saw my crew, I changed out of the shoes. I suddenly felt better. I got some good food in me. They were like, you're doing great. Don't worry about it. And just kind of like had a really hard reset there. But yeah, that first, that first, like whatever, 12 or even 20 miles was just really just in a headspace that was really negative for the race. Um, and then the ugly, gosh, I think, I mean, the section that I was just talking about in the last question, like that last 12 miles is just so brutal. You know, it's just, I was so, my gas tank was completely empty and I was just sludging. I guess like the ugliest moment of the whole race was probably getting passed into the fourth at like 97 miles. That was a bummer. Um, but yeah, that, that whole last stretch is just, like every single step you're like, I just really, really, really don't want to be doing this anymore. <laughs> cool. Um, I guess I can go next. Uh, it's Brian. Um, the good for me from 2021 is any day that you get to step foot and run a hundred miles in the mountains is a good day. I mean, it's something like we're privileged to be able to do and be able to tackle that distance on two feet is just, you know, always amazing. Um, so that's the good just being out there. Um, the bad for me was, uh, coming into Winfield, I went and got my drop bag and, uh, I go to grab my pack and notice it was completely soaked and leaking the, the whole bladder I had in there. So I had no fluid in there and that just kind of made me mad already when you're halfway done with the race. And, um, the ugly would probably have to go down to the GI issues and having to stop at more porta potties than I ever have in a hundred before, but uh, that was uh, the thanks to altitude and Leadville. You know, nothing different with my nutrition, but something at altitude. I think that's one of the other things going back to is just being acclimated, being able to spend you know ideally a few weeks at altitude before the race and acclimate. But uh, you know, that would be a benefit if you were able to go out there and do that. So that would be the good, bad, and ugly for me. Um, yes, Robert, I guess I'll go next. Uh, so 2021, the good, bad, and the ugly. Man, it's hard to, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the good part and the fun part I like about ultra running is, you know, uh, just being able to have the ability to go to these places like on your feet and see these places and, you know, just, um, by way of by way of your feet being able to go deep you know into some places and come out on foot is what i really really like so definitely was grateful for that opportunity um but you know that great spot that i love about the race was hope pass um but was unfortunately also the ugly part uh for me so i had you know so i think the bad was the time i'd say the time cutoffs just having the pressure of that over over my head all day um the ugly was going up over um you know hope path but you know knowing that 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 time crunch was there um, um but you know the good part was coming down like just finally convincing myself after being so low on top of hope pass just to like just get your butt up uh, you know out of the state station and move down the hill like you've still got a fighting chance um to so be able to come from the, the depths of those lows to be able to make it and convince myself to get down to twin lakes like i said earlier with like five minutes to spare um 
and that, that was really, I think, probably the, the, good, the best moment. The good moment was, like, getting back to my crew there at Twin Lakes, um, you know, them stuffing my vest full of stuff, running through town, just barely making the cutoff, um, and, you know, eventually making it to the finish line where my kids and family, my kids and wife were waiting, um, and I was able to cross the finish line, you know, with my kids, uh, which is, like, one of the, I guess, the most special moment of that race for me. So. Right, this is Jeff, the good, bad, and ugly. A couple good. Um, I think I brought a good crew out there with me. I had a really good crew out there. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to utilize them, utilize my pacers towards the end, but um, I had a good crew. And then the other good was uh, as I crested uh, with a sugar loaf to come down power line in the outbound, I realized I was running next to Sally, Sally McRae. And uh, I was like, oh, am I pushing it too fast? What's going on here? And so kind of like Brian was saying, taking um, pictures, like I snuck out my GoPro and I'm like trying to turn it on and get video of Sally <laughs> running down, <laughs> down that. Uh, but it was cool. It was, it was a good experience on that right there. Uh, my bad is the climb up Hope Pass the second time. I just couldn't get up over it. And it was just a three-hour struggle for me um, on that right there. And then um, the ugly is I had enough time to catch the cutoff at Twin Lakes, but the climb up Hope Pass just destroyed my spirit. And all I wanted to do was just quit the race. And instead of um, making it into Twin Lakes and having to argue with my crew, uh, the, uh, that I didn't want to continue on. I allowed myself to time out and just took my time coming down, coming down the mountain. So, so Pass takes a lot of people's souls. That's for sure. So, <laughs> yeah. so Tyler, I, I heard you said you were interested in doing UTMB next year. So I, I'm assuming that means not a third shot at Leadville in 2023. Um, I think there's going to be a third shot, but I don't think it'll be in 2023. Yeah. I mean, you got to pick your battles and exactly. I think Leadville is still a race that I haven't gotten right that I would like to get right. Um, I think that the course record is uh, on borrowed time, and I'd like to get that. I'd like to be the one that gets that because someone's going to get it. It's um, it's too old, and it's, it's too soft at this point. Um, but, yeah, I think being here, seeing UTMB twice, like I was here last year as well and not being in the race, I think it's something that I'm really excited about. I think it also plays into both some skills that I have and some skills that I really want to work on in the next couple of years. And I think just the level of competition is so much higher that that makes it really exciting um, from a professional perspective. Um, but Leadville is definitely still, like, a kind of a personal project that I'd really like to work on. It's just, it is really tricky because you can only do so many hundreds in a year and it's also literally the week before. So it's pretty much impossible to do at the elite level um, to do both races. So I'm thinking right now, obviously it's a long way away, but my plan is yeah, to, to be here in Chamonix next August, um, competing uh, in something here. I haven't decided what. Um, but I definitely hope to go back to Leadville at some point and take another crack at it. Well, hey, heck yeah. So, and uh, Jeff, what's your plan? Are you going to go give Leadville a shot next year? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it is, I do want redemption at Leadville. Um, 
I know I also want to finish the Grand Slam sometime, and so I'm and my wife won't let me go back there do the Grand Slam next year, so it might not <laughs> be in my cards. And then also, you just got to see what the lotteries bring in December. You know, if I get lucky and go in the states or um, whatever else, so um, we'll we'll see. Right now, we'll, my focus is Friday. Uh, running Wasatch and just getting that done. And awesome. Well, I'll be rooting for you at Wasatch. Yeah. Well, hey, guys, I appreciate it. This was awesome. Well, thanks for having yeah. us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, guys, for organizing this. I've got to take off here. Um, it has been fun. Um, congrats to all you guys. And uh, keep in touch. And good luck in the future. Good luck at Wasatch. And good luck. Uh, hopefully, we'll all see each other at again some year. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. All right. Have a good one, everybody. You too. Yeah. All right. Bye. And there we have it for episode 54 of the Florida Trail Runners podcast with special guest Tyler Andrews. He had his ups and downs, but hey, at least for us in Florida, he absolutely crushed it. Jeff Iosa, he's been slamming out the miles for 2022. You know, he's done the Long Haul 100, Black Canyon, Old Dominion. He's paced at Western States, the Vermont 100. And of course, here at Leadville, his Leadville result, you know, it might not be the result he was looking for, but hey, he still has the Wasatch 100 coming up. I'll be chatting with him again. We'll be talking about the slam and all of that. And of course, we've got the stories from the Osprey, stories from the Pinellas Trail Challenge also in the pipeline. So hey, until then, happy trails.